Hello and welcome to Tennis Podcast. My name is Nick and this is the show where every week me and my sidekick host guess each other's top tennis list included our fun facts, trivia and of course hot takes. My guest today, I am joined once again by Steve Glissman from The Speaksy Show. Steve, how are they hanging? Really low. I think, you know, as the years goes by, gravity seems to increase on my body. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm doing well, even with that. I'm, I'm glad to be back. This is my second visit to the show, so I'm glad I was allowed back. Steve, if you recognize his voice, it's a very mm-hmm. sultry, very sweet voice. I enjoy it very much. He was previously on episode number 167, where he and I talked about the most popular profanity. So it is fucking great to have you back, Steve. It sure is. And I'm glad to be the one asking the questions this time. So the the tables are turned a little bit. It's true. On my show, The Speaksy Show, it's a podcast about uh, words and phrases we use and speak every day. So I thought for my turn to ask you some questions, I put together the top 10 words of the 1990s. That is a great decade for that. It's a wonderful... Because I'm a kid of the 90s. Very good. And I was a young adult of the 90s. So the first time I ever... Wait, 1890s or 1990s? Listen, you've gotten away with that before and I'm okay (laughs) with it. The first time uh, you age shamed me on my show a couple years ago after, uh, I think we did a call with you that was after like 9.30 at night. I remember that. And you were correct in in diagnosing me as as an old person then. But I've, I've come to embrace it. And, uh, you know, I identify as someone who was uh, turned 18 in the 90s. Yikes. Embrace it as someone who uh, identifies as a podcaster. And I'll make up some more things to identify with as we go on uh, through the show today. I identify as a biscuit. There you go. Well, congratulations. (laughs) Hashtag diversity. (laughs) I identify as cake batter. I mean, we could keep going. Oh, we could. That could, be, that could be our third episode is we could just list <laughs> things we identify as for an hour. But this list came from a pretty good resource. Um, the top 10 words of the 1990s is from MiriamWebster.com. Oh, okay. So not to give away too much with this. Um, so I'm going to go in the order that they gave. They didn't really rank these well, I think. And I'll, I'll spoil a little bit. The number one word shouldn't be on this list. Hmm. So this will, I'll be impressed what you can pull out of this. Some of the words make sense. Number one word makes no sense, but we'll have a good time. And I think we'll talk about some things about the 90s too. We'll get your view as a kid of the 90s, get my views as someone who was in adulthood, early adulthood, still acting like a kid, but legally, mm. uh, according to the police, was an adult. So, I have a question. So, this list is the top words of the 90s. You said you have problems with the ranking. That's fine. Yeah. I have problems with lists I bring sometimes too. Mm-hmm. But my question is, how should I be guessing these? Are these words that were invented in the 90s, words that were popular in the 90s, phrases, slogan, uh, not slogan, uh, mm-hmm. slang? I so, would say these are mm-hmm. words that I would, I would say are associated with the 90s for the most part. Okay. So, not really slang. I would say when you think of the 1990s and just kind of words that jump into your head, I'd say the majority of these you should be able to pick up from that. And if not, we'll find a way to steer towards that. And I got some hot 90s facts too. Some other hot oh, 90s information to share for. with you. Yeah. Okay. And this is according to the authority on words, the dictionary. Right. Merriam-Webster. All right. Should I go ahead and guess? Go for it. Let's get it going. So, I think the first guess will be the hardest just because I, I still got to kind of figure out the vibe of this list. Okay. So, what about the word, and you said no slang, but I'm going to guess this anyway, what's up? 
was really big in the 90s. What's up? What's up? Oh, yeah. As part of the Bud Light ads. Well, that is not on here, but I'm glad that you brought that up because that's something that I kind of, I have times that I ponder things I'd like to see come back catchphrases yeah. or the such, and that's up there. I kind of enjoyed that. Um, it's up there with, call, you know, yelling out, I'm Rick James, or, <laughs> yeah. you know, women be shopping. I can think both of those are from Dave Chappelle, but you know what I mean. And there's also another black guy that was doing that with What's Up. So I'm very uh, ethnically centered, apparently, on catchphrases. But no, that, that's not on there. Um, but I wish, it, I wish it was. And I wonder what happened to those mm. guys. Like if they're, you know, one of those guys are, are trying out for a Shakespeare in the Park. Mm. And, you know, he has his resume or CV or whatever it is you use as an, as an actor. And he basically at some point is going to have to do that. He's going to have to do that before. Like, we'll let you play um, in Romeo and Juliet. But, but give us what we want yeah. before you get out there. No, it's kind of like being typecast, right? Like, mm -hmm. no one wants the actor, Rain Wilson, who played Dwight on The Office, to be in a serious movie role, like a drama series. They just no. want Dwight. No. And that's this guy with What's Up. Yeah. But I know he's a listener of the show, so shout out to him. Oh, shout out What's Up guy. Am I on the right track, though? Like, was that a good guess? I think that was a great guess. But this is very hard, to, I'm sure, to be on the other side of this, especially what I'm staring at. So, let me see if I can steer you a little bit. When you think of music from the 1990s. Mm -hmm. What is a genre of music that comes to mind? So, hip-hop really exploded in the 90s. So did grunge. And there we go with That's number four, grunge. I knew it. Very good. That's my jam, Steve. That is your jam. One of the things I like about grunge music or grunge culture, whatever it is, actually, let me define it first before I, I uh, get into that. So, according to Merriam-Webster, Rock music incorporating elements of punk rock and heavy metal. Also, the untidy fashions typical of fans of grunge. And there's a little paragraph on grunge from Merriam-Webster. With the Seattle band Nirvana and its 1991 album Nevermind leading the way, grunge bands filled the 90s with distorted guitars and angst-filled lyrics. Word comes from grungy, meaning dirty, but outsider look. Flannel shirts, knit caps, ripped jeans which was adopted by high-end designers and mainstream retailers. And what I like about grunge is, you know, like sometimes you'll see a movie in the 1960s and it'll make it look like everyone was a hippie on their way to Woodstock. Or you see a movie about the 1970s and everyone's dressed like a pimp going to a disco. Kind of the stereotype that you have of people, you know, dressing in grunge wear was actually something that at my age, when I was you know, in the mid-90s, everyone that I hung out with did dress that way. Not necessarily because they were in bands or musically inclined, but it was a great time to be a guy. <laughs> yeah. Jeans, flannel shirt, smart ass t-shirt. That's all you needed. You didn't need to wash your hair. No. Bathing optional. Yeah. Your shoes could have holes in them if you needed. They didn't have to, but they could. That's right. I was a child in the 90s. Mm -hmm. I didn't turn 18 until the first decade of the 2000s. Mm -hmm. But I did adopt that kind of style a little bit in high school, although now I'm more of a sweatpants and Nirvana shirt kind of guy. And what's nice about Nirvana shirts, it's fun as me as an old man, of seeing them at Target, you know, the, the hip, edgy band that, that started a movement or whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, it's weird, right? You can now go to Target and, and get that. I see Nirvana shirts now more than I ever have, and right. I think it probably is because of like the Target connection. Yeah. I bet I see more Nirvana shirts than any other single band today 
when you're walking about. And I'll bet at least 75% of the people wearing those shirts couldn't tell you more than a song or two. Right. And I'm the sort of guy that would find that out, that I'm not that old yet, but I'm pretty close to being old to like cornering somebody and ask them, name, you know, name three songs from Nevermind. Yeah. But I haven't got there yet, but there's a chance. Like it's coming one day. It's not as funny to me now because I, I see that on the rise of, of something that could happen and probably will happen. Yeah, that's okay. Good. So number four, grunge. Does it say, and if, you might not have this, but does it say where the word originated? Like who was the first one to say it in a sense that it took off? Let's see. I'm going to check real quick. Because you know what the shitty thing about that is? Mm-hmm. Like if you come up with a word like grunge and you probably just say it in a throwaway interview or something and it catches on and now it's the word to describe that corner of pop culture in that time mm-hmm. and it's still used 30 years later, you're not getting royalties on that. No. You're not saying a single penny for all the times the word grunge is used in print and in movies and in TV on this podcast. Right. So That would be nice to lock down a word. And we're actually going to talk about a word. One of the, I'll give you a hint. One of the top 10 words was copyrighted. So that to give you a hint for some other things. Okay. Okay. That we'll have there. So the, according to Wikipedia, the origin of the term was seen first applied uh, to musicians in the uh, greater Seattle area in 1987, um, when a man by the name of Bruce Pravitt described an album as having uh, grunge to describe the sound of, of that work. So grunge music, of course, uh, associated with Seattle. And it makes sense when you think of the clothes that are out there of um, you know, torn jeans and flannel shirts. A tough place to live. I've never been out there, um, and I'm not a very outdoorsy person, but the thought of being somewhere that rains constantly and is just, you know, not a lot of sunshine, sounds like it would be miserable. So, I've been out there and I love it, mm-hmm. although I don't know okay. if I could live there. However, mm-hmm. what, if, what if that rain was replaced by creamy Jif brand peanut butter? Mm. Would that make you more or less likely to move out there? I think it would. And I think my dog Amelia would like that too, because I've started to use peanut butter as a way to distract her from anything. If I want something done, I, I uh, give her peanut butter. So there is potential for that. I don't know what would happen to make Jif peanut butter rain from the sky or what sort of that's um, not important. drugs I would don't take. Don't get to make... down in the details. Okay, that's good. We're going to yeah. stay open-minded. So I'm going to give you another guess and I'm going to stay in the music-ish genre. And there was... There was a song in the 90s called Getting Jiggy With It. Mm-hmm. The word jiggy. Mm. That's not a bad guess, right? It's a very good guess. Okay. I remember that from Will Smith's album, I believe it was Big Willie Style. Yeah. Of which I had the cassette tape as a yes. nine-year-old. <laughs> yes. And I remember, I think one year for Christmas in the late 90s, I bought that on CD for my wife. So you could tell we're very edgy. Yeah. That's why I know so much about grunge because I'm from a very edgy urban household that, you know, yeah. has their, their ear to the streets with things like that. But no, that's not on there, but I think it should be. And I think also too, uh, you know, if we're going to talk about things that came out of the 1990s, I think Will Smith. Yeah. Will Smith went from a novelty rapper of the late 80s to a, a sitcom star, then movie star, and then... The um, biggest movie star, I'd say. At one point, he was the biggest star. Yeah. At one point, and then threw it all away or maybe slapped it all away. Yeah. There was a time where Will Smith, I want to say like 2005 to mm-hmm. 2012-ish, like that range, where he was just in great movie after great movie after great movie, hits, blockbusters, didn't miss. 
And then somewhere around there, he started doing like After Earth with his son mm. and other really shitty movies like that. And I feel like he's just, even before the slap, yeah, I feel like he was kind of on this, uh, a bad string of not great movies. It's tough. The downside of hitting such highs is there's nowhere else to go except down sometimes. Yeah. So maybe there's a chance though, for, for Will Smith to make a comeback. Maybe there's a sequel album to Big Willie Style that will light up the hearts of America again. <laughs> There's a chance for that. I hold out hope. I'm, I'm a very positive person, a uh, very glass half mm. full. And maybe that has something to do with the generation that I came from. Generation that you came from, Boomer? Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Generation X, Generation... Generation X. And with that, you have guessed the number seven word. On the top words of the 1990s. The word Generation X is the word? Generation X or Gen X. Okay. This is a very 90s list, which, duh, but like, <laughs> the yeah. two words well, so far are very 90s. Yeah, I think this was a very uh, 90s one. So, um, going to Encyclopedia Britannica to define Generation X. Generation X, a term typically used to describe the generation of Americans born between 1965 and 1980. Is sometimes been called the middle child generation as it follows a well-known baby boomer generation and precedes the whiny millennial generation. I added whiny to that. Yeah. It has fewer members in either of those groups, which is one of the reasons that Generation X is considered to be a forgotten or overlooked when generations are discussed. I don't agree. I mean, maybe at one time that was true, but I feel like Gen yeah. X comes up a lot now. And that sounds like something an entitled millennial would say. But <laughs> I agree with you that that does seem to come up now. And as I think, I'm kind of like smack dab in the middle of, of that group. And one of the things, as you can tell by my comments that I've learned, is that no generation looks at the generation uh, either preceding them or coming after them and goes, you know, those guys did a great job. No one goes, man, those baby boomers, they really nailed it. And those millennials, you know, with their goldfish, there's nothing wrong with them. Nobody likes, you know, who's before or after. That's true. Yeah. And part of that was maybe because uh, growing up in the 90s and listening to bunch of guys who did heroin and played scuzzgout guitars from the, the rain slash peanut butter skies of, of Seattle. Well, I won't let you say a bad word about peanut butter rain, first of all. Okay. So you need to walk that back. Officially walked. And wouldn't that be, I know that it's a little close to chocolate rain, but peanut butter rain is kind of fun to say. I think Prince, the musician, really missed out on purple rain. Mm -hmm. Should have been peanut butter rain. Peter Mutter Rain. Don't you? I mean, I think so. I'm envisioning a different Purple Rain album cover, like instead of him, like yeah. thin and ripped on a motorcycle, that he's kind of portly <laughs> and has a headband on, you know, he's eating like a peanut butter and banana sandwich or something like that. But maybe yeah. there's an alternate yeah. universe where that happens. The alternate universe theory, as I understand it, means that has happened. Yeah. In some universe, it's not a question of if. It has happened. Every possible scenario of every possible scenario has happened somewhere. Yeah. And as Marvel continues to run out of ideas, maybe they can do that now that they're getting to like multiple universes. They can find one with Prince who did Peanut Butter Rain. I'd pay $10 to go see that. R.I.P. Prince, listener of the show. And also too, I, I forgot to note, uh, the term Generation X really stuck um, after a best-selling book by Douglas Copeland entitled Generation X. Yeah, who gets to name these generations? I mean, you just said it was that guy, but like, yeah. is it just someone says it and it catches on and that becomes the name? I think so, because I think technically millennials are generation Y. However, they start breaking down generations 
but just different names stuck with it that seemed to identify it better. Baby boomers because of the baby boom. I think Gen X was kind of backward engineered because it, they were kind of lost in between two groups and very distinct, I think, from the baby boomers. One, one of the things I've read, I, didn't, I haven't experienced this in my life personally, but seeing it in other people's lives, is the baby boomers were the first generation to really indulge in divorce and some other things that, that made Generation X, yeah. you know, that's where Lockheed kids came from. They experienced some different things that, uh, for what I've seen, that uh, they've tried their best to adjust to maybe not make some of those mistakes. I think divorce rates are lower in Gen X than they were in, in baby boomers. Yeah. But again, going back to how these are named, I think it, it just gets out there and sticks. Because there's a Gen Z I know. Do you know what's after Gen Z? Or is, think, there, is that not a thing yet? I don't think that's a thing yet. If we're throwing names in the hat for future generations, I want to be a part of those conversations. I think so. And if I ever find out like who's in charge, that would be a fun job to have. Like, you know, Ted, you're in charge of naming the next generation. Make it a good one. Mm-hmm. Um, and hope that he's had a good day when he does that. Or hasn't crossed somebody from that generation. Again, that, there needs to be some sort of like generation spacing there. So it's not somebody being bitter naming the next generation. Or maybe it should go the other way. Yeah. It should only be bitter people naming them. I was going to say, because then you're going to have generations named like the whiny bitch generation mm-hmm. or the, the entitled generation. It just, right. All kinds of nasty things. I really think we should have like the oldest people on the planet, the ones that are just barely hanging on to life, Mm -hmm. 100 year plus, they should be naming the future generations because they've seen all the other generations. Yeah. Right? I think that's a good idea. You do think that's a good idea. There is a chance that the next generation though gets called the wheel of fortune generation. You know, (laughs) you just want to make sure they don't get carte blanche to name whatever they want, that there's some sort of Policing. Mechanism there to protect what they come out with. But I think that's a great idea. I I support that. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully you'll support another guess. So Gen X was nine, right? So we've got number four, grunge. Number seven, Gen X. Oh, seven. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let me give you a hint. The number two term, actually, is a catchphrase from a show that was very popular in the 1990s. It's not what I think you and I would agree with is the best show of the 1990s, which is Seinfeld. Yeah. Correct. So there is no Seinfeld on here, right? There is no Seinfeld in here. I was going to guess Giddy Up or something like that. There should be. And there Festivus. should be probably a separate uh, Seinfeld list for this. But so in the 90s, it's a, it's a long running show. It is a catchphrase. And it's also was trademarked. Did I do that? Oh, no. You're in the ballpark. It's one of those ones when you hear it, you'll go, yeah. But it's also too. If I hadn't told you it was a catchphrase, you probably wouldn't think of it. So think of maybe, uh, what are, I guess, the pillar shows of the 1990s? So we got Seinfeld, Friends, Mm -hmm. Family Matters, which isn't that the Mm -hmm. Urkel show? That is the Urkel show. And don't act like you you knew that. It's okay. (laughs) Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. We got Boy Meets World. Probably not. Mm -hmm. I think Cheers ended in the 90s. They did. Let me give you a hint. This show is actually still running. Still running. What show is still running from the 90s? The Simpsons? Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Jinx, owe me a Coke. It's okay. Simpsons, so dough. Dough! Correct. Number two. Homer's, you did that very well, by I knew the way. it. Congratulations on that. From Merriam-Webster, officially referred to as Annoyed Grunt in the Simpsons scripts, Homer Simpson's signature interjection became a catchphrase of the decade and later an audio trademark of 20th Century Fox. Hmm. 
I don't think that's really bad, but I think there was, I mean, I, I, did I do that? I think is much better. And something from Seinfeld. I mean, somebody should have stepped in and made a way for Seinfeld to be involved in this list. I mean, this is an interesting conversation. So obviously, anyone listening knows Seinfeld is a huge influence on my life. We know Steve is rightfully a Seinfeld fan. But culturally, in the world, Seinfeld has definitely had a bigger influence than The Simpsons, right? Even though Simpsons has been, has, I don't know, five to ten times more episodes than Seinfeld. Right. Yeah. Right. You agree with that? Seinfeld's more influential? I would think so. But at the same time, I think that's also the strength of it being a cartoon is like, it's still on. It never ages. So there is a way that maybe this is spread out more. And I will say as someone who is elder, not elderly. Yes. I'd say an elder. Oh, okay. Not elderly yet. Getting there as the night goes on. But there was a time in the early 90s where The Simpsons was massive. Yeah. Almost like burned so bright that I'm surprised that it didn't burn out that it was so popular of, you know, Bart Simpson had a novelty song, Do the Bartman, and the, you know, Don't Have a Cow, and all these like other Simpsons catchphrases were ubiquitous for, for a couple years there. And again, almost one of those things that has that kind of one-hit wonder feel of just being so, so around that it had to burn out, but it didn't. But I would say Seinfeld, I think, much more influential, and I think has aged, aged better. Simpsons, I actually, you know, there was a, they had a streak in the mid-90s that it was excellent. It was about the time that Conan O'Brien mm. was, I think, still writing for that show. And if you ever go back and get a chance to see the people who uh, participate in The Simpsons, it's a, a list of comedy geniuses. But there comes a point for me, at least, that like something, something has to end. And I, I checked out, gosh, I checked out on The Simpsons about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's still, you know, you still can't stop it. So I would say uh, Seinfeld should be on here. I wonder how long Simpsons will go. You know, will it be around 10 years from now? Why not? If you're still making money off it, why not go for it? Except if you're somebody like Jerry Seinfeld, who went out on top, one of the rare people to get out before he had to. Yeah. And it's still making not just Jerry, but everyone on that show and NBC, it's still making them like they're all still making money, even though the show's not running. Right. So there's something to be said for that. And going out on top, like you said. Dope. Dope. Alex Johns here. Nick asked me if I'd read an ad about Tennis Podcast merch. I told him I wouldn't like to do it. No, because I'd love to do it. I wear Tennis Podcast merch like it's going out of style, which of course is impossible. I wear it to bed. I wear it to work. I wore it to my wedding. You can join me. Go to tennispod.com merch today to find a tennis branded shirt that tickles you just right. There's a shirt for Dr. Phil enthusiasts, a shirt for having one hell of an ass, even a shirt for the body elves that obviously control every function of our bodies. There's all this and more tennis themed designs available right now. All shirts are available in multiple colors and sizes with options for both men and women fits, even Dr. Buster. There's also mugs and stickers too. Don't get left behind in the competitive world of fashion. Join me at tennispod.com merch. I've even got a special treat for you. Save 20% off your next purchase with promo code Alex. Yes, even I have my own promo code. Use promo code Alex at checkout and save 20% off your purchase at tennispod.com slash merch. That's tennispod.com slash M-E-R-C-H. So when you were talking about catchphrases, I started thinking about some of the big heavy hitters of the 90s like Jim Carrey and Adam Mm -hmm. Sandler, people like that. Are there any other catchphrases from like a figure like that? 
There's not, but I, I have a hint for you. Right. So if you listed some like famous movies from the 90s, yeah. what would be a, a medium for you to watch in the late 90s if you wanted to watch Adam Sandler? What would you use at your house to watch an Adam Sandler? A VCR. What came after VCRs? DVD. DVD. So there is number six on our list. That's a bad DVD. one. Right? It is. It's not even a word. It's not a word, and it doesn't mean anything. I learned through this also that DVD, no one agrees on what it stands for. Huh. Digital video disc is what I always thought. Or digital versatile disc. This is from Merriam-Webster. Not so. a single fucking person on this planet has ever looked at DVD and said, digital versatile disc. Well, some nerd at Merriam-Webster. <laughs> and again, I just report what the people that actually do work say. So... DVDs, I, I don't think, is the greatest uh, use of a 90s word. Mm -mm. That was something I remember being intrigued by that. I also remember being intrigued in the DVD forerunner of Laserdiscs. Now, have you, at your youthful age, ever seen a Laserdisc or know what that is? I know what that is, but have I seen one? I don't mm -hmm. know. So, Laserdiscs were basically the idea that became DVDs except they were the size of vinyl records. <laughs> and this was in the early 90s, and this was when, when they would first come out. You know, you weren't going to Walmart and get one for $8.99. You were spending $50 to get something the size of that. And I don't even know if you were going to be able to get Ace Ventura on that. And then what's the point? Which, by the way, it was the last time you've seen Ace Ventura. Oh, at least 10 years, probably. I watched about two weekends ago with my kid, and... I highly encourage you if you get a chance to watch it. It's something that oh, it holds has, up. It holds up certain parts of age differently, uh, depending on your sense of humor. But it, it does hold up. And I actually watched it with my daughter. And she's like, that's why she understands why, how Jim Carrey got famous. Like, it totally, it totally makes sense. That's another her. one. Much like um, Will Smith in a different way. But mm -hmm. Jim Carrey was the king of the 90s. And he yes. made so many hits in a row, so many cult classics. Uh, that are still like Liar Liar and Dumb and Dumber are two of my mm -hmm. all-time favorite movies to this day. Oh. But then like once 2000 hit, he made maybe like two more good movies ever again, I feel like. I mean, yeah. it's just weird how that happens. He had that, that good problem that maybe affected Will Smith. And there's a point where you make so much money that your brain turns to mush. Hmm. I would like to see how much that takes for that to happen to me. But there comes a point in life where you make so much money, I think, as an actor that you end up so detached from reality, the neurons aren't firing off the way that they used to. Yeah. How you keep your edge with all of that, I'd have no idea. And again, I, I hope that I have that problem one day and I get to learn to experience how to fight through that and to not end up losing my mind. My brain is mush right now. Yeah, I know. I think this has happened to me too. By the end of this, you might, you might wonder how wealthy I am because <laughs> um, I'm going to sound very wealthy. Yeah. But I did find the best-selling DVDs of all time. Mm. I found this was an interesting, um, if you hear some of the titles, you could guess, like, you know, it, it does make sense of like that, that time maybe in the early 2000s when people really started to adopt. Wait, is this a top 10 list within a top 10 list? Is that what we're about to do? Oh, it's close. There, it's a top 25 list ah. within a top 10 list. Okay. But, um, and this is from IMDB. So, you, you know, it's good. I mean, it's not as good as Wikipedia. No. Then again, what is? Would you like to know what the number one DVD of all time is? Let me see if I can guess it real quick. Okay. Titanic, I think, is the number one VHS. I think. 
So I'm wondering if it would also be the top DVD or at least in the top few. It is not, but Titanic will potentially come up later on another backup list that I have. So I don't see that on there. The number one, this list is very much geared towards children. So the number one DVD of all time, selling DVD of all time is Finding Nemo. (laughs) That's a good, hey, Finding Nemo is great. Nothing against Finding Nemo. What do you have against Finding Nemo, Steve? I can tell by your composure that you have something against it. Nothing against it. I'm more attached to the to its sequel, but that's okay, you know. To Dory? I'm just an Ellen DeGeneres guy. I mean, you can tell by my haircut. We have a lot in common. Yeah. And I just, I'm more of her, but I think that's a good, solid movie. If I had to watch it, Finding Nemo would be good. But you mentioned Titanic. Yeah. And I think that your head is in the right place. Um, as your heart is too, Nick. Yeah. I can, I can tell. So Other parts of my body too. Keep it like a, a, a tough PG-13. But Titanic is the highest grossing film of the 1990s. Yeah. And it's uh, the highest grossing film until Avatar, which came out like, I don't know, 12, 13 years after Titanic. That's right. And as we're recording this, Avatar 2 is crushing the box office again. Good job, Avatar I'm impressed by Avatar 2 and the fact that I think I, like a lot of other people, I mean, a lot of people evidently saw Avatar, the first one, and I did. And I remember it being a very, uh, like an incredible in-theater experience. And then I left the movie and I never thought about it again until I saw that they were making Avatar 2. Yeah. And, you know, you don't see people, you didn't see kids playing with their Avatar action figures or their Avatar lunchbox. Or dressing up as, you know, blue people at the mall or anything like that. But, and thank God for that. Yeah. There's more people dressing like the blue man group than there are like Avatar people. And I think that's also good. Yeah. But Avatar the movie, like you, I saw it, in the, the original, I saw it in theaters. I had mixed feelings about it, but I left, never thought about it again until I... It's such a weird thing how that's the highest grossing movie ever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with like 3D sales and all that. But still, highest grossing movie ever. Let's not take that away from it. Yeah. And it's had such a small cultural impact, right? Compared to like a Star Wars oh, yeah. or, yeah, it's just weird. I haven't been waiting for my daughter to be old enough that I could take her to see Avatar 2. I don't think anyone has, but we've talked about Avatar. I'm going to try to hint at number 10 on this list. Yeah. So in Avatar, when you go to the movie theater, it was almost like you were in another world. It's like it simulated being in another place. While you felt like you're in another place, you knew you were in the movie theater. You knew you were grounded on this world. Uh-huh. What would maybe be a, a, a forerunner to that, Nick? Could you think of something that would maybe simulate a reality? Heroin? You mentioned heroin earlier. Close. No, this is not the 1970s. Ah. Oh, virtual reality? Something like that? Virtual reality. Number 10. Okay. Virtual reality. I think a very 90s word, but also one that has not really too much use. And a little bit like Laserdiscs. Like the virtual reality was kind of close to what we ended up, we, you know, what we're doing now. I guess it's a forerunner to a lot of things that we use. But back in, back in the 90s, it was, it was a pretty lowbrow version of that. Yeah, I remember Nintendo had their virtual, I can't remember the name, but they had a virtual thing that bombed. Mm-hmm. And now we have virtual video game systems like the Oculus. So, I mean, it was born in the 90s, I guess, or at least mainstream born in the 90s, but it's still around. uh, Its legacy lives on today. I think so. Yeah. Even though if you ever had a chance, I was old enough to use like some, I had 
Um, I found a place that actually had virtual reality. It was like a simulation you could do for like 10 minutes. And I thought it was great. And to be able to go back in time to see how terrible it looked <laughs> would probably be hilarious. But I enjoyed it. And one of my best memories about that was I took my friend Adam uh, to try it out too. And it made him basically dizzy and, and near vomitous. Vomitous. And gave him a headache for about a week. So he, he had some memories from it. I mean, it was a memory of a throbbing headache that wouldn't go away. But he was out there. He's like Neil Armstrong getting out there on the moon. Somebody's got to get out there first before we can have oculuses and yeah. other things that are around now. And I think his experience, your friend Adam, his experience doing that is much like I've heard the experience of someone experiencing tennis podcasts for the first time. And I also think to add to that, the word vomitous, underutilized, mm -hmm. and perhaps mm -hmm. belongs on this list more than virtual reality. Virtual reality, mm -hmm. I think, yes, it's a 90s thing, but it's kind of a boring entry on this list, don't you think? I think so. I think it's pretty, but it, it is pretty boring. There should have been something better. And again, when you hear number one, we should have had Jiggy or, or something else on here. But I think it, it is very dated in 90s. It fits in the sense that it is a very dated, immediate 90s word. And if anyone gets a chance, if you're really, really, really bored, I highly encourage you to look up the, the non-classic movie from the early 90s, Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. Oh, it's horrible. Uh, which gives a, a, a picture of virtual reality and filmmaking gone wild and what happens maybe when heroin or some other drugs are involved. Yeah, heroin's come up a lot on both episodes that we've done together, Steve. <laughs> maybe the universe is trying to tell us something. Stephen King was definitely a force in the 90s. Is there anything kind of in that realm on this list? Hmm. No, so now we're getting through, we've kind of, I think, thin through some of the, the easier ones. So... Yeah, this might be a good chance, actually. Why don't we recap where we are so far for the listeners? Okay. Of the top 10 words of the 1990s, according to Merriam-Webster, we have captured number two, Homer Simpson's dope. <laughs> number four, grunge. Number six, DVD. Number seven, Gen X. And number 10, virtual reality. So we have... Five down, five to go. Yeah. So one of the things that was born within the 1990s was the advent of the internet. Mm -hmm. I am old enough to remember that when my family put me in their wagon and we drove seven days to college and they left me off with a bale of hay yeah. and a jug of bourbon so I could, I could make it through, that my college had just introduced email. Now you do mean electronic mail, right? electronic mail as it probably was yeah. described to us. To give you some hints for college, so one of these words that's left, I associate with college in the 90s and maybe the, the climate at a, a college. And another one would be associated with early internet use. Does that give you hints on if you want to maybe kind of run with either of those? So, college, how people acted at a college and maybe some terms that were used for early internet. Let me start with early internet. How about the word spam? No, but in the ballpark there. Virus? Think more related to websites. I won't let you Browser, struggle Browser, loading, surfing, surfing the web. Uh, very close. I'm going to put you out of your misery uh, and go with the term dot com. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, I guess that's fair. I guess. It's not yeah. a word, really. Yeah. The other things that you said, I think, addressed all of those. So if we yeah. were keeping score, um, I, I will let you pass. You're too kind. So according to Merriam-Webster, their definition, 
a company that markets its products or services usually exclusively online via a website. The digital revolution uploaded a huge batch of new terms into the language, internet, the web, spyware, MP3, mm. the prefix E as an electronic email, etc. So other terms could have been used. Yeah, how about just the word internet? Yeah. That by itself. I'm with you on that. Next time I, I talk to somebody from Merriam-Webster, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them an electronic <laughs> yeah. mail. I'm going to electronically let them Give them, them a piece know. of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. What number was this, by the way? This was number eight. It is kind of interesting when you think about how important the internet is to the world today. Mm. It's only like, I don't know, 30 years old, if that. Yeah. Hmm. What I like about it, in the same way that the speed of internet use and ability to do things has increased, on the opposite direction is everything that we do with it. You know, if we wanted to, I could listen to every symphony that Beethoven wrote or find an opera, you know, re read a book that's not in print, not doing that. I'm going to get off this call with you and at best look at Instagram and at worst look at some other dot com. Yep. Hopefully I won't. But it's interesting how that has things that we could use to really expand ourselves. Now, I you think, can learn you know, anything about anything at any time yeah, for free. For free. Or you could look at people, women in bikinis running around on a beach. What I like is what you and I have done. I think we've used this technology to our best. I mean, the thought of, uh, you know, if you explained 20 years ago what a podcast was and how easy it was to theory, you know, basically have your own television channel that anyone could do it yeah. or be in a situation where you could work but not go to work. You could work from your house. Even 10 years ago, that would have been, I think, difficult. You don't off. need to go back in time. Just explain it to my dad today and you'd get the same look. Yeah. But then I could show him pictures of women in bikinis run up and down a beach um, and he'd quickly probably be quiet. That he'd understand. Yeah. I think that, that would go, go quickly with it. Yeah. So it did remind, this gave me a chance to remember when the internet exploded in the 90s and kids these days mm. don't understand that the internet was something you just didn't go home and click on your computer. Most of the time, I think a lot of people my age, the first time they ever had good internet was actually at work. Mm -hmm. which is probably for a lot of people uh, made it a job that they didn't stay at if they didn't have good self-control or understand that people could see what they were looking at online. And it reminded me of one of the first websites I ever looked at that'll be a hint. This is a hint for a, a, a term on here. The website was Gothic Babe of the Week. Oh, baby. That I remember sitting in the library, watch it slowly upload to see who the Gothic Babe of the Week was. And it wasn't something that was I would say it's a strong PG-13, mm -hmm. but it was also something, too, that would load so slowly that if I did see something wrong, that I would probably pretty easily get away from it. I could not even go to another tab. I could open up another document, or I could turn off the 50-pound monitor that I was looking at. That's the other thing, too, about that time, because I was a kid in this time, and we had a dial-up internet in our house, but it's a shared computer for the whole family, right? Mm-hmm. People didn't have multiple computers or not everyone didn't have their own tablet or laptop. Now I sound like an old man. But it was like, if you wanted to look at something uh, unsavory on the computer, you were risking it on your family computer. But that was a risk I was willing to take. And it was worthwhile. I mean, for Gothic Babe of the Week, <laughs> I think it was worth to do that. And I was young. Sure. I was living on the edge. I was probably wearing a flannel shirt with a sassy t-shirt under it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what a DVD was. Life was simpler. Life was simpler back then. 
I probably actually did record The Simpsons so I could go watch it later on a VCR. But life was simple. The 90s, man. You know, I, I've talked yeah. with a friend recently how my generation or my age group, we were like the last ones to use VCRs, the last ones to use cassette tapes. Right. Because I've had both of those experiences. I had the quick experience of using cassette tapes and CDs and MP3. Whereas, you know, people born today will never use a cassette tape. Right. So, in some ways, I feel fortunate to have experienced both sides. I've had to uh, explain to my daughter how things used to be that if there was a TV show you wanted to watch, you didn't go up and push a button on your TV and instantly watch it at that time. Yeah. It came on at a certain time. You would watch it on a giant 100-pound tube in your living room. And if you missed it, you missed it. You might never see that again. It's kind of remarkable that all those production companies and such that produced those shows and movies from the time, even going back to like the 20s or 30s, like they had the foresight to even save some of that stuff, right? Yeah. If they thought like, okay, this aired on TV, it's done. Mm -hmm. Why hang on to it? But they did. Well, United States companies did that. Actually, the BBC has lost, I've seen this several times that there's been many things that they recorded, but because they were being thrifty, they would, they would record over mm. the videos of things. So there, we've been fortunate in our country. We, we prioritize what's right. Keep, you know, we want to make sure that I can, at some point, someone's going to want to see every episode of Knight Rider. Yeah. We need to make sure that we keep that and it doesn't get lost to time. David Hasselhoff needs to be taught to future generations. Um, and in Britain, they didn't have that foresight. So shout out to America. Yes, always. God bless America. Mm -hmm. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. Steve, I pledge my allegiance to it. Well, I'm going to pledge allegiance to giving you another guess. Okay. This was big in the 90s. I remember doing this in the 90s. I remember having it done to me and that is suck it. Telling someone to suck it. Suck it. it. That originated in the 90s, I think. I think it did. It is not on this list, hmm. but if we were making one, I think it should be on there. I was of the generation that suck went from like a, a proto curse word. <laughs> Shout out to our last episode. We talked about the most popular curse words that that was something that you didn't say in polite company and suck has kind of evolved to something like I've heard like my parents like say something sucks, mm -hmm. which if I could time travel back to them when we were on the wagon, somebody would have been, you know, beaten and have to sleep with the goats if, they, yep. if that had been said. But that still happens in my house. But yeah. yeah well, hey, you got to keep your marriage fresh. But I think Suck It should be on there. And I think that was popularized in the late 90s in professional wrestling mm -hmm. by Degeneration X, if I'm correct. That's right. And we have Gen X on here too. So, it yeah. would have been a nice kind of tie-in. But And I didn't put that together to write the second. Suck It. Yeah, that should be on there. Uh, that mm -hmm. was a huge part of my, of my childhood in the 90s. Mm -hmm. But you were going to give me a hint a minute ago that I talked over you on. No problem. So, say you were, you were at a college in the 90s, oh, yeah, and college. you were using terminology. Some people, you know, I would say professionally, even now, you probably shouldn't say suck it in a professional setting. But if Unless you, you work in the adult film industry, perhaps. Right. If you're a director, I mean, that's not, they're not saying anything offensive. You're actually right. giving, giving direction. You're telling the actors what to do. Yeah. But if you were, say, in a college setting, you said something that people maybe didn't care for, you would use a term that would be described, that wasn't acceptable. Politically incorrect. Politically incorrect. It's listed here as politically correct, but mm. I, I still count that. So, number five, politically correct. 
I'm surprised to, to learn that was a 90s thing. Well, I lived it, so I wasn't, wasn't as surprised. Um, but I mean, I, I was think a kid, so I that, guess it wouldn't have been like in my immediate vocabulary at the time. Right. Yeah, as a kid, you shouldn't be in a situation where anyone's like correcting you on what you, you know, what you're saying of like, no, 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 that's not what we would say here at the college. So to go back to uh, Merriam-Webster, politically correct, defined as conforming to a belief that language and practices which could offend political sensibilities, as in matters of sex or race, should be eliminated. And this is very interesting also uh, from the article uh, that comes with us from Merriam-Webster. It so happens the left invented this phrase. It entered communist lingo in the 1930s to praise loyalty to the party line, but eventually politically correct turned against them. By the 90s, it was mainly used by the right as a battle cry of the culture wars. A battle cry. <laughs> An interesting pivot there of, yeah, it was, it was communist lingo, mm -hmm. but then it was used as a battle cry in the culture wars, kind of rubbing over a little bit um, that, yeah, maybe it started as something from the communists. So I was actually surprised that that was seen. So I went to school in the, in the 90s and actually was a political science major. Nerd alert. And, you know, this was when, you know, political correctness was something you'd start hearing about. You know, you'd kind of hear something being politically correct or politically incorrect. It's like a lot of things. It kind of starts out as something that is not a bad thing. Like you would not call someone an Indian. You would use the term Native American. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Um, you I believe the, the preceding term was Afro-American, and then that became African-American. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. Instead of Eskimo, you would say Inuit. Now, I do have a problem with that, but that's okay, because I'm Belgian-Mongolian. I'm related close enough to Eskimos. I can call them whatever I want. Okay. But I think Noted. being politically correct was one of those things that started well, but then kind of became something to... Extreme? To silence people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to push it. It is the, the grandfather, I think, of, of woke. If we were doing a 2020s list, woke would be on there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying. It, political correctness has been weaponized at times. Mm -hmm. But I do love the idea. You mentioned it was a battle cry of the right. And I just had this image in my head of like these leaders of the right, like the Rudy Giuliani's and the George Bushes and whomever else running through a battlefield, right. <laughs> crying political correctness right. while they're holding a spear above their head and the blood of an innocent child like rubbed on their bodies or something like that they yeah. just killed. So, that's also something that I said just now. It's a good quote and I'm not offended by that. It might not have been politically correct, but I'm okay with that. It probably was not, but that's okay. I'm not going to use your language against you to tisk tisk you. To tisk tisk me, okay. Thank you for not tisk tisking me. You're welcome. But for the record, I'm okay with being tisk-tisked at particular times with enough notice. Yeah, but not while you're being recorded. No. Shaving your balls is all the rage these days. But here's a question for you. What does it matter what your balls look like if they taste terrible? Did you know fried, processed foods, alcohol, caffeine, even nicotine affect the way you taste down there? Yes, I'm talking about down there. We spend way less time thinking about it than our partners do. Pecker Nectar was developed so you don't have to think about it at all. Pecker Nectar was created to offset the effects of our modern diets, providing a milder, more pleasant personal taste. Oh baby. Thousands across North America have already made Pecker Nectar as much a part of their daily routine as toothpaste or deodorant. 
It's time for you to make it a part of yours. Just go to peckernectar.com today and use the promo code 10ish at checkout to get 20% off your first order. That's peckernectar.com. Use the promo code 10ISH for 20% off. You can get a direct link in the show notes to use the promo code 10ish at checkout for 20% off. Pecker Nectar, helping make sure your Southern gentleman is a gentleman of good taste. Um, okay, nine, three, and one I need. You need nine, you need three, you need one. And you've done a great job, by the way. Let me call out the Thank three you. remaining terms here. If we spent a, a couple hours, it would be very tough to come up with these. So I'm trying to think of the best way to, to lead you to, towards them because these two of them make sense for the 90s. And again, one of them has no place on this. Is that number one? Because we're going to get to number one and I'm, it's going to be a word like I love or something and then we're going to have to fight. No, that's fine. We could do a virtual fight. We could do, I could call <laughs> it how you've been politically incorrect on Twitter or something like that. So you want me to steer towards number one? Number one, I think we can have a good conversation. Yeah, let's do that. When I discussed um, my first time on the internet during the dot-com time, there was a website I went to. And do you remember the name of that website? Gothic Babe of the Day? Of the Week. Of the Week. Gothic? But goth? Goth is the number one word of the 90s. As in like goth kid, right? Yes. Goth. Goth. So I don't know who vetted this. We talked before about the importance if we have old people named Generations. Mm. Uh, Not just old people, the oldest people. The oldest people. Well, let me ask you, what do you think when you hear that goth was listed as the number one word of the 90s? What's your thoughts on that? I could see it being considered for like top 20, maybe, mm -hmm. at most. But top 10 when like Suck It and Festivus and all this other stuff is not yeah. in there. Seems like an odd choice. But maybe, you know, on this like board of whomever is picking and voting on what should be in the top 10. Maybe it's one of those goth babes of the week is in their voting and biased, probably. I think that you've cracked the code here. <laughs> and as we talk, remember the phrase crack the code as we go over the, the last couple. So let's go to the article on goth. Hmm. So according to Merriam-Webster, goth is defined, uh, the second definition is what we're looking at here, rock music marked by Dark and morbid lyrics, a fan or performer mm. of goth, a person who wears mostly black clothing, uses dark dramatic makeup, and often has dyed black hair. One of the definitions for goth is a fashion choice, much in the same way grunge was a fashion choice, right? Right. Because there's also a music attached to it. Right. There's goth music attached, which I associate more with the 1980s. And again, the look, like everyone could, there's a kid, right, you know, half the 18-year-old boys out of college at any day are, are dressed in a grunge look, whether they realize it or not. You know, goth is something that's a little bit more, there's a little bit more work going into it. And you're, you're standing out quite a bit mm -hmm. when you're dressed that way. And at the same time, while I think it's something, I don't think it should be number one, maybe a top 20, maybe a top 25. At the same time, like one of the first websites I was actually into was Gothic Babe of the Week yeah. from the, the later 1990s. So maybe I'm, you know, I'm a little bit wrong on Who this. Who are you to speak against goth when you were supporting the gothic arts of the time? Of the Babes of the Week? The Babes of the Week. <laughs> so did you ever, I'm going to take a big guess, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Did uh -huh. you ever have a, a, a goth phase or have someone that you knew go through a goth phase? 
Well, I definitely knew people that had a goth phase. And when you first mentioned goth, I, I had a memory of a conversation in elementary school. I was probably fifth grade-ish, something like that, fourth, fifth grade. And I wore black a lot, but not goth black, like Adidas shirts, you know, black right. with the white stripes. Mm -hmm. But a girl asked me if I was goth, I was goth one time. Oh. <laughs> no one had ever asked me that before or since. So, I think it's a her problem, not a me problem. But not that it's a problem, you know what I mean. But everyone can make their I own choices. You. But it was a weird question. So, I would not consider myself as, as having a goth face. Yeah, I would say even though that sounds like a great marketing idea for Adidas, they want to repurpose those mm. those nice striped pants that they really promoted in the 90s. Just have like super pale vampire looking people with black hair and makeup wearing it instead of athletes. Why not? Why not? Everything comes comes back around. Yeah. It would be politically correct maybe too to diversify mm. and let people of the goth persuasion or identity do that. I think there was a bit of a goth comeback in the 2000s with Twilight. I think it's something that never really goes, goes away. There's always going to be a yeah, mopey right. teenager who wants to dress like a vampire. I mean, it's just kind of baked into society. I don't know, like, if, you know, how far back it goes. I can't imagine somebody, you know, in Kansas in 1883 trying to plow a field <laughs> and Teresa sitting inside, you know, putting on her white makeup and doesn't want to go out. But... Maybe there, maybe, was, there maybe there was. Maybe there's some, uh, there some was. country goth. Yeah. Kansas goth. Maybe that was Dorothy. Who knows? So why is this a 90s thing, though? Like, maybe it was just big in the 90s, particularly? Maybe. I mean, I don't think... When I think of gothic bands, I think of the 80s. I think 80s. of, of you Black know, Sabbath. And I like your idea of a gothic babe of the week is now working at Merriam-Webster. I mean, it makes sense. This would be where someone who was a good gothic babe of the week would end up working for a dictionary. Maybe a multi-time babe of the week. Maybe she was a babe of the week more than once, Steve. Maybe that's what they were hiring for. You know, we have a lot of good candidates right now. We need a tiebreaker. And, yeah. you know, let's go find out who was the most <laughs> gothic babe of the week. You're saying when Miriam Dictionary was hiring for this, <laughs> they yeah. said, we got too many candidates that are too even. We got to think of a tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. Some right. older man, probably overweight in a suit, balding, and the back raises his hand and says, I wonder if any of them were ever gothic babe of the week. Yeah. That's it, Jeeves. That weird skinny kid who was sitting in the library at college looking at that slow website <laughs> uploading. He inspired me. That would be a fun conversation to have with HR to say, look, you know, we have a problem here. We have a logjam of candidates, but we have a solution. You know, we're coming here with solutions to this problem. Yeah. I think HR would appreciate it. Actually, I don't, but I'm going to say yeah. that anyway. Okay. Yeah. Well, goth. I don't have a problem with it being on a larger list, but as a number one, it does not belong. So, would you like to know what the last, the last two were and to feel good about yourself? Because these were, these were tough, all three okay. of them. And the fact that you got goth, I'm very, I'm very impressed with you. So, the, the two that we missed... Hang on, wait, pause. The listeners are still clapping for my guessing. Oh. They're still applauding me. Okay, I think they're done now. Go ahead. So, number nine was Genome. 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 As in the Human Genome yeah. Project, as in genomes that make up our bodies. What's a genome again? <laughs> like, I've heard the word, but I, I can't remember. So, I'm going to give you two definitions, and these are both from Merriam-Webster. The first one, one haploid set of chromosomes with the genes they contain. The second one, which starts broadly, 
the genetic material of an organism. Hmm. So basically, all our DNA, everything that makes us who we are genetically, are in genomes. And there was um, in a project called the Human Genome Project, which ran from 1990 to 2003, was... Uh, international scientific research project to identify everything that makes up the human DNA, which apparently they accomplished in 2003, but only had 85% of the genome. Bunch of slackers. Yeah. Which would be another term that I think that would be good for the 90s that should have been on there. Yeah. Yeah. What is this shit? So they don't even finish this thing in the decade that we're talking about. It's already a word well before the 90s, I think. And it's number nine on this list? Yeah, number nine on the list. Steve, why are you bringing me these lists with so many holes in it? It's like a, it's like a Swiss cheese list. It's like a, the torn pantyhose that a gothic babe of the week <laughs> would have worn in 1996. Yeah. I, I'll have to look that up and find. But I think genome, it's, it's a tough one to guess, but I think it's a nice highfalutin one that we can mm, kind of you know, discuss sure. yeah. um, and pretend that we understand what a genome is and what it means. And again, it's one of those things that like if someone... If the people of the Human Genome Project got together and said, look, we're just going to tell everybody we figured out DNA, what are they going to do? How are they going to correct us? Who's going to come in here and tell us we were wrong? Who's going to check our work on this, right? Like, we can tell the public this, and they're just going to take our word for it. Nate Bargatze had a great joke about, you know, if someone had decided a a beetle was 16 million years old, who's going to correct them? Who's going to go back in there and say, no, you know, no, it's not. You can just make up that number. Yeah, it's so true, though. And I'd agree with that. So we are agreeing that genomes aren't real and it's all... Yeah, it's fake okay. news and shouldn't be, definitely shouldn't be included in the, the top 10 words of the 90s. Agreed. So now we're, we're down to one word, and this is a word that I, I think technically fits. So I'll give you a couple hints to see if I can steer you towards this. And again, this is one that I don't think is very easy one to grab. So it's an economic term, an economic trend that occurred during the 1990s. Well, trickle-down economics was the 80s. Correct. And to give some more hints, think about all the things that we use right now. You know, as we're speaking, we're we're using computers and cameras, and we all have phones um, that have been built and constructed and purchased for a pretty good price. And this was a trend that that lended towards the cost of things being distributed maybe to other places. I don't know. And this this isn't it, but Y2K should probably be on this list. People were talking about that throughout the 90s. I agree with you. And let me give you, since you were probably a, a child trying to get a, a Finding Nemo DVD jammed into something or sticking peanut butter in a VCR, I remember the Y2K change and the panic that was there. I remember, too, my uh, very great plan, a sensible plan to protect my wife and I, which was uh, two jugs of water and a hammer. Done. Nothing else. In case anyone broke into the house to take our two jugs of water. <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, they don't know what you got in there until they're in there, right? Yeah. They got to break in, see what you got, and then decide, this all this for some water? At least, and, and then they could take the hammer though. See? Yeah. Then it's worth it. And I'd probably be distracted watching uh, Gothic Babe of the Week, I think, was still around at that time. So, I yeah. probably would have been looking at that. Although, you'd have trouble with the loading. You know, probably wouldn't load in yeah, time. Yeah, it would have. I would just magnify the screech of my uh, dial-up internet. (laughs) So the term that is the final term of our top 10 terms of the 1990s is globalization. Globalization. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's number three. And the definition of which is 
The act or process of globalizing, the state of being globalized, especially the development of an increasingly integrated global economy marked especially by free trade, free flow of capital, and the tapping of cheaper foreign labor markets, which is a very nice way to say exploiting other people. Hmm. And what's your stance on exploiting other people, Steve? Are you for it or are you against it? It depends. So I think it's one of those things that I like to bring out. You know, like we all like to have the kind of uh, thought game of, you know, what if I lived in a time of slavery or, or, or true oppression? You know, where would I be? And everyone wants to think that they would be, you know, fighting up for the oppressed, which is a good thing to think. But at the same time, we all use, um, you know, I'm going to get off this call and go to my phone, which was probably made by a child somewhere in China, and look at Instagram. And I have a feeling that, you know, the, the cheaper foreign labor, we are one way or the other benefiting from the exploitation of others. It's just a reality of life. It's not yeah. something I like. I'm not going to go get rid of my phone anytime soon. But I think that's one of the downsides of globalization is when you have something that is obviously cheaper. Tapping of cheaper foreign labor markets is a nice way to say someone's getting the goods pushed over on them. Yeah. And there's a child somewhere put cobbling together my shoe or phone. This has been a thing well before the 90s, but the term was right. popularized in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It just sounds better than cheap slave labor. Well, it depends on who you ask. I think that has a certain ring to it that yeah. works well too. Globalization is kind of a mouthful. Mm-hmm. But it is true that we all use products, even the, the most uh, sensitive of us on topics like this. It's really hard to escape using something that was right. manufactured in a way that's less than ideal. But yeah. But I think what's really important too is, you know, after a fun discussion of gothic babes and grunge and um, mm -hmm. VCRs and DVDs, that we can just close on child slave labor. <laughs> I am trying to break into the child slave market as far as my mm -hmm. listenership goes. It's an important demographic that sponsors are trying to reach these days. So if anyone has tips for getting some earphones on some child slaves with Tennis Podcast playing through it, let me know. Yeah. Um, Steve, real quick, we can't leave without you recapping the list real quick. Go back through that top 10 for us. All right. So number 10, virtual reality. Number nine, genome. Mm. Number eight, dot com. Number seven, Gen X, not to be confused with Degeneration X. Mm -mm. Suck it. This is fun. This is good to say. Uh, number six, DVD. No. Number five, politically correct. Mm, okay. Number four, grunge. Yes. Number three, globalization. Yeah. Number two, Homer. Could you say Homer's catchphrase? You did much better than I did. No. Oh. Excellent. And number one, probably related to the author of this list, goth. I think of everything on this list, the things that belong on here most are dough or dough, grunge. I mean, I guess Gen X, maybe. Yeah, but I'd say Gen X. The rest are all kind of like, I don't know, I feel like a monkey could have come up with some better words. Yeah. Or maybe the Slavic babe of the week or the mm. Australian babe of the week. It doesn't all have to be gothic chicks, Steve. Yeah, that's a good point. And I just had a really good idea of Australian Babe of the Week would be a lot of fun. Maybe Australian Gothic Babe of the Week. Maybe we combine the no. two. Don't be ridiculous. Or we find Australian Gothic Gen X Babe of the Week as they're starting to deteriorate like my mind is. Uh, <laughs> no. Their, their bodies are. I think you find one of those people I mentioned earlier that are coming up with the generational names. One of the oldest people on earth. I mean, they can't be younger than 100. That's the cutoff. Right. 
You find those people, put them in a gothic babe of the week setting. Mm. See what that does for you, Stephen. If it does something for you, then you really do know you're crossing over into that older hemisphere. And if it does nothing for you, then you might still be okay for a few more years. <laughs> I can see Steve's mind turning to mush before me <laughs> in no. real time. I concur. We'll see as I go and watch Wheel of Fortune to get my, get my energy back. All right. Well, he's Steve. He is from the Speaksy Show. Everyone needs to go listen to it. This has been episode number 203 of the Tennish Podcast. Coming up next week, I'm going to have Anna Keller back on the show. She's been on a few times, so I'm excited to have her back. If you enjoyed the show, let me know on social. You can follow us at Tennis Pod on Reddit, on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter. And you can follow me at the Nick Amel on Twitter and Instagram as well. And if you don't want to remember all that, just check the show notes for direct links. Steve, what's a good 90s closer for this episode? Suck it. Suck it. If you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Suck it. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs>